My message this morning is titled, Don't Be Anxious. It's very humbling when you're preparing a message to realise that you need to listen to your own advice. So if you think this morning that I'm talking to myself, you're probably right. Many years ago, I had a job that involved a lot of foreign travel, often at very short notice. Coming back on one trip, it was a white knuckle ride. The plane was rolling and it was bouncing up and down, and the wings were flapping more than usual. It was uncomfortable, and a lot of the passengers were frightened. I knew, however, that the wing of a modern plane is designed to bend a long way before there's any danger, about 30 feet if anybody's interested. I also knew from experience that an instant before the plane landed, the air trapped under the wings would provide a cushion and the plane would land smoothly, as indeed it did. My faith in the pilot and the laws of physics had been confirmed. And as we taxied to the terminal, the pilot didn't insult us by hoping we enjoyed the flight. In our message this morning, I'm going to be talking about the consequences when fear and worry have a foothold in our lives, why we're told not to allow it, what we can do to prevent it, and what we will gain when we succeed. A few weeks ago, when we still had our recorded services, Scott told us about Caleb, one of the 12 spies that Moses sent to investigate the promised land that God was leading the Israelites to after the escape from Egypt. The land was indeed fertile, but all the spies except Caleb and Joshua brought back a bad report about the obstacles of the fortified cities and the large inhabitants, because they were afraid. The people had seen God at work. He had rolled back the sea so that they could escape from Pharaoh's army. He had provided for all their needs in the desert. He had won battles for them. He had promised that they would defeat the inhabitants and take over the land, and in only a few days they would enter it. But they couldn't see past their own strength. They failed the test whether they truly trusted God, and as a result, only Caleb and Joshua finally received the promise after all the others had died in the desert. If the Israelites, after all their experience, couldn't trust God enough to seize the opportunity that they'd spent a lifetime waiting for, it's not surprising that most of us fall short. If we follow the news, fear and anger seem to dominate the streams. Financial crisis leaves us concerned for our employment and our own finances. The confusion about the examination results and the return to school cause us concern about our children's education and their futures. And if we go abroad to escape, we may be confined to our homes when we return. We've had our childhood illnesses and we've faced regular flu outbreaks, but many are terrified by the prospect of contracting the COVID virus. And as a result, we see reports of violent confrontations when others don't appear to be following the rules. I even saw a report the other day of a mother who stopped another car to complain that its occupants were putting her child in the back of her own car in danger because they weren't wearing masks. Fear robs us of perspective and it brings out the worst in us, complaining, distrust, despair. Fear plays on our minds, it robs us of sleep and the ability to enjoy life. 
It prevents us performing acts of kindness to others, but most seriously, it denies the power of God in our lives. Jesus himself knew fear. He always knew that his life was leading to the cross, but in Gethsemane, it finally overwhelms him. Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He cries out to the Father, can we change the plan? But before he surrenders his own will. Most of us won't experience true fear, but we still worry about the many issues, some of which I've just mentioned. Constant worry is like that fine drizzle. It doesn't seem to be wet at first, but if we spend too much time in it, we find ourselves cold and soaked. And in the passage that Kate's just read, Jesus is telling us not to worry. He often warns his disciples about this subject, so why? It's a familiar passage, and it's very reassuring, but there's more. It's a command. The issue with fear and worry isn't the misery or the lack of sleep, is what they reveal about our faith in God. We're failing to trust God's promises to provide, and we're failing to trust his plan for our lives. We're thinking that we've got a better plan. Jesus' listeners would be very familiar with how God provided for the Israelites in the desert, how he provided manna to gather and eat every morning, except the Sabbath, how it rotted overnight so they had to depend on him every day. They would remember how God provided for Elijah in 1 Kings 17, how the ravens brought him food and drink every morning and evening, and how afterward, when he stayed with the widow and her son at Zarephath, the jar of flour and the jug of oil did not run out. God has given us our bodies and our lives. Our lives are a greater blessing than our livelihoods. Jesus tells us that we're much more valuable than the birds that his father also feeds. But we have much more important things to be thinking about. And as he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. Trusting God for everything is a big challenge. To have complete belief that the best way to provide for our basic needs is to be concerned with another world. It's easy to understand why this can look like a recipe for starvation. We must be careful when we read our Bibles not to take a couple of verses in isolation. How do they fit with the rest of the Bible and the principles that it tells us to live by? Jesus isn't telling us to have lives of leisure because God will provide. The Bible consistently instructs in the value of common sense, planning, careful, honest work. And a good example of the perfect work-life balance is the description of the wife of noble character in Proverbs 31. And if we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we will see some very blunt comments about those who are determined to be idle. Jesus doesn't forbid foresight and preparation, anticipating and preventing problems. He tells us that there will be difficulties. As Kate's just read, every day has enough trouble of its own. But what he forbids is dwelling on the difficulties, real or imagined, in a spirit of fear. 
God's grace and provision, however, are greater than any problem that we will ever face. Many of us have experience of God providing when we most need it. So why do we worry? About five years ago, there was a study to measure how much we worry without a good reason. The subjects were instructed to write down their worries over a long period and identify the ones that turned out to be real. Only one in seven of their worries actually happened. And out of these, the vast majority of the subjects, they either handled the situations easily when they arose, or the difficulty taught them a lesson that was worth learning. Psalm 139, verses 13 on, tell us that God created us and his plan for each one of us was written long before we were born. Every single one of us was specially designed and has been given an assignment that nobody else can fulfill. If we've ever been told by a parent, a partner, a teacher, a friend, that we're worth less than somebody else, it was a lie. But when we feel that we're inadequate, whose strength are we relying on? If God has a purpose for us, he provides the knowledge, resources, practice and training that we need to reach our highest potential. The trouble is that we want our scary problems to be completely gone, but that's no use to God. He wants to work in us, not for us. And just because you're struggling, it doesn't mean that you're failing or your faith is weak. Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 2 promise us, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We don't all go through the same waters. We may try by following our own way to avoid the water and the fire, but we won't succeed. The rivers have to be crossed, even if our faith isn't as strong as it could be. We will get wet, we will be singed, but we won't be drowned or consumed by the flames. And when we think that that's about to happen, we will see God's path of escape. In several places in the Bible, we read about the refiner's fire. And we often think of this as learning to endure hardship. But when we're in the refiner's fire, it's more than this. When the silversmith holds the silver in the hottest part of the fire, the heat burns away the impurities. But he watches it closely because if, if it's left a moment too long in the flames, the silver is destroyed. A lady once asked a silversmith how he knew the silver was ready to be removed from the fire. And he told her, well, when it's refined, I can see my image in it. No matter what happens and how hard life is, God is watching closely over us and we have his kingdom to look forward to. Fear and worry about earthly matters have no place in our lives. So what does it mean then that we're instructed to fear the Lord? How can we believe that God loves us and at the same time that we should fear him? Surely as 1 John 4.18 tells us, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
Godly fear isn't the same as the fear of a tyrant or a dictator. We don't need to fear his anger unless we fear punishment because we've disobeyed him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. These aren't the words of a God who wants us to be afraid of him. So how should we fear God? Number one is to have a proper reverence and awe of him, so that we will do whatever is required of us to serve him. Number two is to want to please him in everything we do, knowing that his opinion of our, of our actions is all that matters, not the opinions of other people. Number three is to have a hatred of sin and know how serious it is. To these, we can add the fear of dishonouring him through our actions and the fear of misrepresenting him and his word in the world, or even denying to others that we are his children. But if we don't fear him, we won't take sin seriously. We will use God's forgiveness and patience as excuses to do what we want, not what he wants. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? At the heart of our fear and worry is not having enough faith that God will keep his promises. So how can we build it? It's like a muscle and it needs exercise and also stretching. So for the rest of my message this morning, I'll be sharing a few ideas that I find are helpful when I'm worried. Always remember, God has made promises. He has already blessed you. So look back on your lives. See how you have changed since you first met him. What doors were opened that you didn't expect? Was there a time when you managed to escape serious harm when you thought you were in real danger? What unexpected blessings did you receive, such as a windfall when you desperately needed money? When Audrey and I were buying our first house, we were a long way short of a deposit. But just before it was needed, I won two prizes in a competition that gave us all we needed for our deposit, with two pounds to spare. Look out for his perfect timing. And when you consider how he has blessed you, Think in particular about your character, patience, generosity, teaching, friendship, and ask him for opportunities to use your talents. Thank him for how he has provided and ask him to make you more alert to what he's doing around you, with you, and through you. If you can do all this, are you ready to take the step of handing your worries to God? It's a deliberate decision and it's difficult. The Israelites at the time of Moses struggled with it. You're accepting that whatever life throws at you, God's going to deal with it. So ask him for help to keep your heart and mind focused on him. And remember that you're not on your own. Alan's comment in the WhatsApp group on Friday 
was a reminder that we should pray for those who are anxious. Most of you will know that I was admitted to hospital for an urgent operation a few weeks ago. But while I was there, waiting for an operation, I had complete peace and confidence from the knowledge that I was in the right place. That wasn't my achievement. It was through finding the Gideon's Bible in the bedside cabinet and knowing about everyone's prayers. And for that I thank you. There will be times when we question what's happening and whether doors are really opening or closing. We might be full of faith one moment and panicking the next. For many of us, the worst times are when we wake in the early hours with that nagging thought that we can't get out of our minds and the knowledge that we can do nothing about the situation. When that happens, I find that the only way to find sleep is prayer. Sometimes I have to get up to it and go to another room, but that, that always helps me. These are the times when we must accept that there is nothing for us to do, but wait patiently for God to step in. But if we truly trust in God, we know that all will be well, because he says it will. It won't be a timid, helpless life, but adventurous. His spirit will be in constant touch with our own, confirming who we really are, and, as we heard earlier, using us to our highest potential. You may this morning be standing on the threshold of God's greatest promise to you, but you will never receive that blessing if fear still has a role in your life. I failed to mention in the introduction to this message that at the back of the plane was a small child. It was too young to understand the aerodynamics that held the plane in the air, or the engineering that stopped pieces falling off. But every time the plane made a sudden drop, he squealed in delight. And after a few minutes, all the passengers started laughing, and somehow they forgot their own concerns. If we have that childlike faith in God, we will not only ride the rough parts of life with joy, but our example will have the power to remove the fears in the lives of others. So let us all stop trying to take back control and be glad that God will provide the best for us if we are prepared to let him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we don't know why we don't trust you more. We know you have the best interest for us and love us, but we can't stop relying on our own strength. Help us to accept that where we are today is your plan. Help us to believe that if we keep trusting you with our lives, that we can only become better through you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.